I love Japanese animation or anime. It's vibrant, it's bonkers, it's Japanese. Their style of animation is something that is loved all over the world. But something that is not loved all over the world is subtitles. And I know, watching something in its original language is pure, but for animation, I just kind of think it ruins the aesthetic. And when animation is dubbed over in English, it's far less noticeable than dubbing over live action, which I don't think they really do anymore. Anyway, on today's show, we're going to meet or hear the voices who provide the Japanese animated heroes with English tongues. And since we have them at our disposal for today's show, Chuck, would you do the honors? Hi, I'm Chuck Huber, and it's time to meet your maker. I'm just kidding. Voice acting isn't easy. You have to portray a character entirely through your voice. You have to convey their every nuance from the recording booth. Which is why I'm always impressed with voice actors who dub anime. Not only do they have to convey the character and the nuances just using their voice, they also have to perform it so that it fits into the character's already animated mouth. And not everybody can catch on to what this strange kind of work is and to still sound authentic and to still give realistic performances, but within given parameters. It's difficult. That's Caitlin Glass. My name is Caitlin Glass. I'm a voice actress for anime dubs. I'm from Dallas, Texas. Caitlin found it tricky at first, matching dialogue with what are known as flaps, basically the animated mouth opening and closing. But she got the hang of it. After a year or so of acting, I started voice directing as well. So by working with a a wide variety of actors and people, I've learned that actors or just people with a musical background tend to catch on very well because it is more like music than it is just acting. It's almost like these flaps that you're given are like notes on a page so you only have a certain amount of time in which to hold this note right or to to sing this word but you're not really singing so the rhythm that's required musicians seem to really understand also say you you perform a line and it's almost right but i can tell you it needs to be this much faster or slower and you understand how to do everything else exactly the same only change the tempo and many stage actors want everything to be so organic and nothing to be repeated from performance to performance. But in what we do, we can't have it that way. Sometimes we need to do it exactly like we just did it with this very small change. Hey, come back here, Haru-chan. You must be like a superhero or something. That's so cool. I'm not a hero. I'm an honor student. <laughs> Chuck Huber is also an anime voice actor and director. Sometimes in the Japanese language, it'll be, you know, four flaps, and then the translation will be, I went to the store yesterday, and I got a lot of really good stuff. And you're like, oh, God, that's never going to fit in four, you know, three flaps. Store stuff good, you know. So that's where the writers have to really be creative. And sometimes they have to shift lines around, like you, you'll reverse two lines and have the meaning of the first line on the second line and the meaning of the second line on the first line because it fits the flaps better. 
And sometimes you just have to, like, there's nothing you can do to make it work, and you just have to do something slightly different that doesn't take away from the story. But doing the acting of it, like, making your, your voice fit those flaps is, is, is not easy. And then you'll just need to change a few words here and there, or, or you give it a go and then determine, oh, I need to be faster or slower. And if that still doesn't work, then you'll make some actual adjustments by changing words. And so then we bring life to the character uh, with our American voices. And, and we usually listen to the Japanese first because we all respect the art form so much. So we try to um, emulate or embody, not imitate, but sort of take on the spirit of the what the Japanese actor has already done. Sometimes you can't because there's some phrasing and some sort of colloquialisms in Japanese that don't translate well into the sort of Western thought. Even something as straightforward as the word what is not quite straightforward. The Japanese word for what is noni, and they, they say noni, and you know, say what? You know, some of the, the phrasing, the tonality, you can't imitate because it's, it's very Japanese. And there's things that we do in English that they would never do in Japan. So it gets a little bit of a give and take. Chuck says as an actor, you can definitely take inspiration from the original Japanese actor's performance. First off, it's the director's job to cast somebody that kind of sounds like the Japanese actor. And then it's the actor's job to try to figure out what the Japanese actor was thinking and doing and try to recreate that in, in your own sort of art form. You know, I got to meet one of the shows I do is called Yu Yu Hakusho, and I play a character called Hiei. And I got to meet the uh, my Japanese counterpart. And it was funny because he and I were in the green room together and I was like, oh my gosh, he's kind of like me. He kind of dressed like me, kind of moved like me, kind of had the same sort of attitude as me. And when we met, you, you know, and talked, uh, you know, it was very interesting because it was like, oh, they, they embody the same sort of spirit when they cast these actors. So it was neat. There are very large archetypes and stereotypes in, in anime. So from show to show, while it may appear very different, you still understand this is the young hero or heroine, this is the glasses character, this is the tiny cute girl, this one's the villain, etc. So there are a certain vocal character types that are expected to English-speaking ears. They're different from what a Japanese person would expect from that particular character. So you, you kind of start that way. You're given a book full of all of the characters in the show. Like When you go in for an audition, it has a couple of pictures and a few sentences about them and then a handful of their lines. And that's all that you've got. But by comparing all of the characters, you can determine, okay, this one's this girl, this is that girl. And there will be notes from the director as well. She's this old. And sometimes Sometimes, if a director has enough time to prepare, and oftentimes they don't, and that's okay, <laughs> they may give you a, some type of cue, like a Hollywood actor or a famous TV actor or something, to be like, think of so-and-so. But in, in a lot of anime, we don't need crazy Saturday morning cartoon voices. Some anime call for that, like uh, One Piece, for example. There's a lot of those really big character voices. <laughs> <laughs> 
But most of the time, the shows themselves are quite far-fetched and require a lot of your suspension of disbelief. So if the voices didn't sound like something you could relate to, like someone that you know, you wouldn't buy into it. You wouldn't care. You're, you don't want your voice to be too far from your own. Mostly what you change are things like the pitch to adjust for age. It's more about the circumstances of the character. That's what makes the voice more than, hi, I'm a little girl, you know, or I'm a boy. Like that, you do that some, sometimes, but not always. Chuck voices several characters on the hugely popular anime TV series Dragon Ball Z. Emperor Pilaf for Dragon Ball was really just my best imitation of Edith Bunker from All in the Family. Oh, Archie. Oh, so Emperor. Oh, I'm Emperor Pilaf. So it was really because I sound nothing like Edith Bunker, but it sounds perfectly like Emperor Pilaf. So sometimes I do that. Android 17, Chris, the director, Chris Sabat, and also many of the characters in Dragon Ball Z, he was like, just relax, man, just relax. Don't do anything. And I was like, okay, I'm Android 17. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. He's like, it's perfect. I'm like, I'm going to kill all the humans. He's like, you sound like an android. It's awesome. And so... Like, I had gone from doing Garlic Jr., which was like, I'm going to push you into the dead zone, to doing Android 17. So Android 17 was like a voice actor vacation. I just got to sit there and read the lines. And then every once in a while, have a giant power-up. You know, next time on Dragon Ball Z. Coming up after the break... Anime fans save Chuck's life, literally. This episode of Meet Your Maker is brought to you by Restored Hearing, a company changing the way the world hears by ridding it of avoidable hearing damage. Neil Curran, an improv performer, has suffered with tinnitus since he was 14. When I go out on stage to perform, I have to give 100% of my attention to what I'm doing. If we've got audiences in front of us paying in to see a show, you've got a job to do. And the last thing I want to be doing is worrying about, is tinnitus going to put me off? Or am I going to sleep tonight? I have to be able to put it aside and not worry about it for the duration of the show. So Neil uses sound relief from Restored Hearing. It's a tinnitus sound therapy app which aims to reduce tinnitus severity within the first month of treatment. If you or someone you know suffers from tinnitus, try Restored Hearing Sound Relief app now with a free seven-day trial. No credit card details required. And if you like it, you can get $10 off your first purchase by using the code MAKER at the checkout. One advantage of being a voice actor is that you can play characters that you wouldn't be able to play in a live-action feature. For example, Caitlin sometimes gets to play boys. For me, all of my kind of young teenager boys, I, I grew up in San Diego, so they all sound like little surfer kids or like like Keanu Reeves Jr. That's what I don't know why. That's just what it sounds like to me. And it just becomes, um, my voice gets really nasal and I talk like this. And I don't know why. But it works. It works. But then there's also the little, we call them little scrappy Dragon Ball boys. And that's like, hey, I'm a boy. And that's a little more Saturday morning. And it doesn't always apply. But sometimes it works. Like in a big crowd scene and there's a little child running through the mall with his mom. Mom, wait for me. Like, that's fine. But if that kid was the star of the show, we would probably want to find an actress whose natural voice is already very young sounding or very male sounding. Or um, maybe once in a blue moon we can find um, a young boy. Not, not an 8-year-old, but you know, a 12, 13, 14-year-old. In video games, which both Caitlin and Chuck also do voices for, Chuck says you get to provide many reactions. Video games have a lot of fighting reactions in them, and they want you to really 
you know, you're supposed to, you know, like the direction will say, uh, burned alive. And you're like, bah, 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 and they're like, burned alive with spear through head. Bah, you know, burned alive with spear through head off cliff. Bah, bah. So you have to do the whole gamut of, and, and you really know you're doing the video game correctly when you feel your throat bleeding. I love all of the types of people or things that you could be in the span of a day and all of the strange things that can happen to you that aren't always the case even on film or on stage. You know, like today, I remember when I when I first started in this, nobody really knew me, so I wasn't getting big major parts yet. You'd show up and do bits and group scenes a lot. And in one day, I might be an old woman, a cat, a young boy, um, an ice cream truck, uh, someone reading the news. You know, it's awesome. What does an ice cream truck sound oh, like? No, no the, <laughs> you know, the voice on the ice cream truck going down the street. And I can't. Sorry, I had visions of this like manic ice cream truck, yeah, like, like talking, terrorizing. Transformers or something, yeah. Dino, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but. Um, I think that's what it is. It's it's a it's very freeing this job in the same way that on stage they talk about you learn mask work what it's how freeing it is to have your face covered when you're on stage and all the people that you can become when you when you feel like no one's watching me anymore they're watching you but they can't really see your process. Voice acting is a lot like that. Your director can see you and the engineer can see you but they're only watching you in so far to make sure that you're staying on the microphone. They really don't care what you do with your body or your face. It's so it's a very freeing experience to just be all of these crazy characters. And no one cares what you look like. And and you can play things that are totally against type. Like I can't go on stage and play a thirteen year old boy, right? <laughs> but I can I can in the booth and that's what's awesome about it. My favorite thing about what I do by far is going to conventions. At the start of his career though, Chuck really didn't understand them. When I was doing Yu Yu Haka show, they were like, We're gonna take you to a convention in Baltimore. And uh, called Otakon. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Just pass out flyers? Watch my show. Yu Yu Hakusho, it's a great show. And they're like, no, you're going to sign autographs. So I was like, you're stupid. And they're like, no, Chuck, you're stupid. And um, I got to the convention. And this is a... People don't understand the anime industry in America and all over the world is huge. We literally take, like in Otakon, this is Baltimore, there's 40,000 people at this convention. So my very first convention, they sat me down and, and I'd never signed an autograph before in my life. And then they were like, you're going to sign autographs for four hours. And I'm like, for who? It's not going to happen. You guys are idiots. And then I sat there and, and then sure enough, there was a line for four hours and people coming up and like, you know, crying or fangirling, as they call it, you know, and getting really excited. And for a while, I was scared, and then I was confused. And then I realized, oh, these are all just my friends from high school, because I was a nerd in high school, too, and a geek, and uh, played Dungeons and & Dragons and watched anime and, uh, you know, did gaming. And, and uh, so once I understood, oh, th this is all the people I used to hang out with in high school, and they love this character so much, and they can't love the character in real life so they got to give their love somewhere and I get to represent that thing so that's that's sort of a it's a fun little fun little gig I think that the convention industry and things like Etsy and Kickstarter and eBay I think the the sort of 
economy of the world is changing. Conventions show me that if you just have, because they have an artist's alley and a vendor's room and you can do panels. So if you have something you love and you love it, and I mean, the Team Four Star guys are a great example. They just loved something enough until everybody loved it with them. And it's that sort of, uh, that future goal, that future dream of a Star Trek economy where everybody just gets to do what they love and get paid for it. And I really think we're at the very beginnings of that because the internet and the interconnectivity and, and uh, the, just all the sort of Kickstarter and, and crowdfunding things, it means if you have an idea and you really truly love that idea enough, you can find the other 10, 20, 30,000 people in the world who also think it's hilarious or funny or awesome that you do what you do. I mean, the guy, like, the guy with Grumpy Cat, like he just did, I look at this kitten, I'm going to be rich, rich, I tell you. This cat is going to, you know, he just loved his cat and thought it was funny, and then everybody else did too, and it's his whole career now. In 2010, Chuck realized that crowdfunding could do even more than that when fans made donations to help cover his medical expenses after he suffered a massive heart attack. You know, it's funny because I have a movie called Arbor Day the Musical, which is the funniest September 11th musical ever. And I had told my producing partners before I went out to D.C. to do some research and to pitch the movie to a friend of mine whose father actually died that day. And I thought, well, if I can pitch this movie to her and she thinks it's cool, then I'm going to make it. And I told my producing partners, I said, if I die of a mysterious heart attack while in Washington, D.C., after visiting the Pentagon, you know the Illuminati got me. And then I totally had a massive heart attack right after meeting with her. And, I went, and my friends were like, this is awesome. You totally almost died. They tried to kill you. And I was like, well, it may have more to do with genetics. But it was a, it's a great story. And yeah, after that, fans donated, because I couldn't work. And when you're an actor, there's no like, you know, pension, you know, that's not like I, hey, great work, people. I, you know, you have a bunch of different jobs all the time. So I had to take off work for three or four months. And of course, my children wanted to still eat. They're hungry every day. I'm hungry? I just fed you yesterday. And so, you know, the fans stepped up and, and covered me for a couple of months. It was really good. All three of you are waiting for the girl? Oh, yes, that's right. I've completed the operation. I will always encourage everybody to get up and do acting or take a class or a public speaking class, because I think if you can get up in front of a group of people and express yourself, you, it makes you a different class of human being. They've done studies on the human body that show that like, the most stressful job is landing a jet aircraft on an aircraft carrier at night. Like That physically stresses the body more than anything else. And right underneath that is public speaking or acting or, or you know, getting up in front of an audience. So if you can do something that, that is that taxing to the human body and not destroy a 40 million dollar aircraft it's you know i think that's a good sort of stress test on your your spirit Future Maker is presented and produced by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme song is by Breakmaster Cylinder. If this is your first time listening to the show, we have a few weeks' worth of episodes online, which you can listen back to on meetyourmaker.ie. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. It's still early enough that you can get pop culture street cred by recommending the show to someone who hasn't heard of us. So light up your social media with Meet Your Maker. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Music.